Hello everyone, I'm Madison. And my name's Roman. Welcome back to the Your Hired Podcast, brought to you by the Bastion Family Center for Success. For today's episode, we'll be discussing advice from our alumni, Nairi Billups. Nairi has contributed so much to Knox College. He's a part of the Board of Trustees and a Black Alumni Network, also known as BAN. Nairi also has a lot of experience and has a distinguished background in different therapeutic areas. To start this episode, can you please introduce yourself? Uh, Nairi Billups, Knox College class of 1999. Uh, in my current occupation, I work for AbbVie Pharmaceuticals, where I'm in our portfolio and program management uh, team. And as a part of that, I lead the integrated and evidence uh, team of PM. So I have a team of 19. Um, and our job is to uh, draw out the business case for every asset that we decide we want to explore. So we look at the timelines, we look at the cost, we look at the resourcing internal, we look at competitive intelligence external to the organization, and then we manage this entire process throughout the year by consistently checking in and seeing are we on track, where we are not on track, we look through mitigations to try to get us back on track, and where we need to reset the expectations, uh, we, we pursue that path of resetting the expectations for the organization. Okay, so I think you. I think the question was raised, Madison. That uh, how do you guys handle the competition? All right, and so what I was connecting that to, which is the all the conversations we're having about racism, inclusion, equality, right? Is that within our organization we have this all for one Abby that we like to say, and it ultimately it just reminds us that hey, at the end of the day we're all on the same team, even though we have different responsibilities, may have different functions, may have even some different goals within those related to that specific work that we do. But at the end of the day, we're all we all have a vested interest in making sure that the products that come out of our organization are safe, they're efficacious. That's a value proposition for the patients who take those drugs, right? That's what we all are committed to. That's that piece that sometimes is the piece that resolves things. It's to say, hey, if I if I put my all for one avion and I lose my function, I lose whatever personal thing I may have felt like I needed to gain in this, and I say, well, what's best for our patients? What's best for this organization? What's best for this team? And so the same thing happens in the equity conversation. People assume that, I got to give you something in order for us to be, you know, have this equity, right? I'm going to lose something in order for you to gain. And as long as there's this notion of a loss and a gain, you're always going to have competition, right? And so in the workplace, you have to remind folks that we have shared goals. Uh, One of the things that fractionates our communities is that our communities no longer have shared goals, right? And so I think about being in a black community, there's a point where, all black people had a shared goal of being free, right? There's a point where all black folks were sort of, you know, sort of saying, hey, I want the right to vote. We were all aligned on some of these things. And and, and as certain doors got open, we started to get different views. We started to spread a little bit. And so that alignment was not there. And it's like, well, I got, you got to get yours. I got to get mine, right? And so that, that crabs in a barrel mentality, right? And so in the workplace, if you have that crabs in a barrel mentality, which means, I need to be right so I can be seen as successful. Well, then sure, I'm going to step on you, right? But if, if, you're, if your company values the team performance and not singling out the individual, then you start to say, we had a shared goal. Who all contributed to the shared goal, right? 
who put the team's goal ahead of their own personal sort of things that they had, right? That's when you start to get that team spirit. And so there's always going to be competition in the workplace because there's, as you go up the chain, there's only one CEO, right? There's only one chief operating officer or one chief scientific officer or one chief technology officer, right? But there may be four vice presidents under that. But still, if you've got a group of 150 people, at some point, you're going to have 10 people trying to get to the same role, right? But there's a way you can still have healthy competition, even in that instance, which is, is that I don't have to knock anybody to state the case of why I think this makes sense or why I'm a strong candidate for this, right? Or why this, this is an ideal step for me or why I'm prepared for this next step. That's the mentality that we have to get out of, which is knocking people down to make ourselves look good. We, I can come in and say, hey, I've got this many years of experience. This is how I've prepped for this. I've been leading this 19 people. Of the 19 people that I've been leading, 10 of them have gotten promoted, right? And they're, you know, sort of, I'm infusing the organization with top performing talents, right? This is just me talking about what I've achieved in the concept of a team scenario, right? Not just I did this, right? Because there's a part of I did this. But it's not I did this and you didn't do this, right? It's simply staying in the space of this is what I was able to do, right? Because this was part of my responsibilities. And I can also say, hey, in all of these cross-functional work streams that I'm a part of, I show up with an all-for-one mentality. I show up willing to collaborate. I show up willing to cooperate, right? And so the, the things that you embody when you bring your authentic self to the table and if you let those things lead you, you're going to find yourself in a good space. Doesn't mean you won't face difficulties. It doesn't mean you won't face competition, but you're going to respond to it in a way that shows an emotional intelligence, uh, a mutual respect for your peers and what they've accomplished, right? And you're going to be like, for instance, if one of my peers got, I'm all in. Hey, congratulations. Because in fact, I want to see all my peers get promoted. I also know the reality is that we all can't get promoted at the same time, right? And it doesn't and it doesn't mean that somebody else getting promoted before me won't be motivation for me. But just because you're motivating for me, it doesn't have to be a negative. It just says, well, that person raised the bar. Clearly, this is what it took to get there. Now that I see where that is, okay, now I need to sort of go, not measuring in terms of comparing, but measuring and saying, is there an opportunity for me to raise my performance, right? Because now I'm, I'm, I'm addressing myself and I'm figuring out, can I prepare a little bit differently, right? Am I building the right relationships, right? Am I, so I'm asking myself how I can show up differently at work. I'm not trying to be that person and I'm not trying to live up to the standard that they've set for themselves. I am looking at what they've done and saying, what does this look like? Like, for instance, if, again, let's just use basketball. If, if you're a basketball player and you see LeBron is in the gym all offseason and, and changing his body and getting healthy and, and working on his diet, you're saying, well, I, I should be seen as one of the best players. And then all offseason, all you did was vacation. You've got to be asking yourself some very different questions, right? This isn't you versus LeBron. This is what did you do to prepare to be in that type of situation? It also makes me think of a couple of things like 
first having that work and life balance. I know, you know, your mindset that you have at home, if you're bringing that to work, like if you're angry, upset, you're going to make the work environment to reflect how you're feeling. So trying to make sure that you have that balance. And also um, that impacts not only you, but others around you. And sometimes um, that can be very negative, which reminds me of something I learned my freshman year with the TRIO program called the imposter syndrome, where you may not feel as though like you fit in. And then like you start doing that comparison thing, like how you were mentioning with the promotion, like, okay, this person got promoted. What makes them different? Why am I not achieving those goals? Or why am I not good enough when it's not even... That's not the case because the only person you're in competition with should be yourself. You know, you should worry more. Not, I don't want to say worry, but focus on how can I improve and better myself? Because as you do that, those around you will reflect and do the same. And another thing that I start to think about with what you were saying is, um, or my question for you would be, is it important, in your opinion, is it important to work or to do what you love or to do something different? Because I know that's something that some seniors may have a challenge with with them getting ready to go into the workforce after they graduate. It's like, do I go with the job that I love or do I go with the job that's going to help me pay off these student loans, even though I know I'm going to be you know, miserable or not as happy with this career? Uh, so I, I don't think that there's a one-size-fit-all approach. Right. The, depending on what it is that's important to you, uh, the first order of business is to find that center within yourself. Who am I? And in this next step, am I stepping in a direction that's reflective of who I am? And, and as you answer that question, you could say, I just want something different. So, for instance, one of my greatest friends, Jamal Muhammad, who's now a lawyer, he decided to go to Japan. He was like, oh, I'm gonna take, I'm just gonna go off before I go to law school. That didn't even that didn't even come into my mind because I was trying to get into medical school. But that step for him was a beautiful step for him. And I, I it's easy to look back and be like, man, I should have went on that, but that wasn't part of my journey and that wasn't supposed to be part of my story. So I don't have any regrets about it. He just decided on a different path for him, and that's what he needed. He took those two, three years and decided, okay, now it's time for me to, I, I now have a better sense of where I want to be. I want to go to law school. Now let me apply to law school. Now I'm accepted to law school. Now let me go and do that. And so that's that space that we have to come out of. Like, for instance, I knew I wanted to go to medical school. Never got in. Eventually I had to go, wait a minute. I can't just keep trying. I got a, I got a kid now. I got a wife now. I got to take care of them. What does this look like? And before I landed my first research job, which was a NASA fellowship, I must have worked eight, nine different jobs. I worked at an infusion pharmacy. I helped open up a big box store, like stocking shelves. Like uh, I once worked receptionist. I was a corporate trainer for like four months. Like I was doing whatever possible. But in all of those, I learned something about myself. I learned sort of where my strengths were. I learned where, yeah, I definitely, like I knew I didn't want a customer service role. I actually took a job because I had a friend who was who was a manager at a champ store. I was like, first of all, I, people tell me all the time, I heard me, you'd be great as a salesman. First of all, that's a no, and here's why. I don't want to convince you to buy something. You came in my store, either you want to buy something or you don't. Now, I can help you. I can tell you about I can tell you about the different products, right? I'll, I'll gladly do that, 
but I'm not about to sell you and be like, oh man, you should get this one, not that one. I'm not about to upsell you on those stocks. And so I don't have that upsellsman mentality versus, again, another one of my great friends, Dustin Simpson, was a policy major in Knox. Dude will sell you, will try to sell you a pair of socks right after you bought another pair of socks. So like in his mindset, he's like, there's got to be another sale, right? You got to want something else. Let me figure out how to let me figure out how to appeal to what it is you want. That's how his mind thinks. And that's what sort of that that that's how he communicates. And that's just very different than my thought. But he got into his first sales role and absolutely hit it off and loved it. Versus me, I went the opposite way. I was like, look, y'all talking to me about selling stuff, not not gonna happen. I, I just I don't get energized by it. Even when I go to the store. I'm okay when people don't come and talk to me to in the store because I'm like, look, I know what I came in here for in the first place. So let me take my time. In fact, I feel like y'all are rushing me because I want to take my time and look through this section that I'm in, right? And so for me, because of who I am, and I'm more deter, I'm more sort of aware of what it is that I want. Like for instance, when it's time for me to get a new watch, I know what I'm looking for. I just need to search and search and search because the moment I see it, it's gonna click. That's that watch. Right. And so somebody trying to sell me on it and I don't even know what it is. That's why it's annoying to me. Right. But if I know exactly what it is I want and I can and I already know what it looks like, then it's easy to go to somebody and say, hey, look, I need this Range Rover. I need it red. I need it 2021. I need it electric. I need this, 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 this. Do you got this on your shop? Right. That's a very different conversation for me, because now you aren't really selling me anything other than I'm telling you what I'm willing to buy. So that's my mentality is I'm telling you what I want to buy. And it's got to be custom because this is who I am. I want it to be the way I want it to be. This is that this is that space you're talking about, right? It's not either or. So if you're a senior, you should almost go, look, I'm taking the first job available. And if I like it, fine, I'm going to stay in it. And if you're in it for six months and you don't like it and you start to go, oh, my God, this is now you've learned something about yourself. Now you go to look for another job, you know exactly what you don't want in a job. You might be like, I don't want one where I got to clock in with a punch thing and this. No, that, that's not going to work for me. Uh, you may say, hey, you know what? I don't want a manager who's asking me every 15 minutes. Hey, did you do this? Did you do this? Right. The, when you start to learn about those things, right, there are a few people who get in their careers right away and they kind of know that. Most people, like if I think about most of my peers that I work with, all of us got interesting stories about how we started and how we got into this industry, right? Because we all come from different backgrounds, different things that uh, sort of made us uh, sort of get on the path that we're on. And so I, I would tell all the seniors, take the pressure off yourself. Don't think you need to be in your career day one after graduation, because the thing that you guys are, it's, it's going to be a while before it hits you, but it's going to hit you. The requirements that you have in life post-graduation are just absolutely different. There is no, hey, if something goes broke in the dorm, you ain't got to call the plumber. If the lights ain't flicking, you ain't got to call that. But when you get your own place, that's your responsibility. You got to figure that out. You got to figure out who to call. Do I got money for? Uh, like, how am I going to? Life life changes. Now, am I going to be home? What's my work schedule? Do I have the flexibility to be there when they need to come by? Right? All of that comes into play. So breathe easy. Like I, I probably was 
27, 28 before I finally got into this industry, but I'd had research jobs. And again, all these other jobs that I told you about, I didn't know that the job I'm in now existed when I was at Knox. No job that I've had in this industry that I knew existed when I came out of college. I just, I just had no concept. Nobody had ever talked to me about project management, portfolio management, didn't know what any of those were, but these are things that I've had to learn, but my natural skill set, how I communicate, how I connect with people, how I collaborate, I'm a willing cooperator, right? All of these things make my job so much fun because it's so natural to who I am. I'm energized by people and every day I'm in nothing but meetings. So for me, it's easy to get up and go, and I get to be suited up every day. I like to be tailored. So it's like, look, I can go to work and be fresh and have fun all at the same time. And so I love being a people leader. That's absolutely fun to me. But I also know what I don't like. I don't like taking minutes. Hate taking minutes at work. So I I try to make sure I'm not the person who has to take the minutes at work, right? I also know that I'm at a point where I've grown up through the industry enough to know that I don't want to be an individual contributor anymore. Because I have 14 years of being in that space in my career. Now I'm looking to be in that space of, well, what does our organization look like, right? What do people understand their roles and responsibilities, right? How do we get the best out of people, right? Do, do we have a safe, space, a safe space to speak culture, right? Is my leadership being inclusive, right? Am I connecting with other parts of the business and making sure I'm aware of what's happening so that I can increase the value proposition that I'm bringing to the table? Those more abstract, but more you need to be in tune to who you are as an individual so that you know that you need to give other people space to be who they are so you can learn more about them. I need to be vulnerable before I ask you to be vulnerable. That's, that's my philosophy. I want to create an inviting space for you to come into my office before I think you need to come into my office for it to be inviting. Right. And so that's my mentality. My mentality is, is look, I want people to be drawn to Nairi simply because I'm being who I am. And that they, they, they know this guy's consistently going to give me this or like, and I have people that go, Hey, you should go talk to Nairi. I'm telling you, when you come out of his office, you're going to be feeling much better about the entire situation. I take a great responsibility in that because that means that somebody was in my care and they left feeling cared for. So every one of my direct reports, everybody, my coworkers, my peers, I don't care if you're the person at the grocery store, I want you to feel like you were in my care and that I took care of you. Doesn't mean I've always done it the right way, right? Because people also need to teach me what is what does their care for look like, right? So I have to be willing to your point, Madison, learn and grow. Mm -hmm. Our last question would be, um, based on how you talked about the jobs and stuff that you have had before um, it led to where you are now, would you say that experience is better than skills or if it's equal? I know that's something that I've started to ask with me. Like I'm a junior and I'm trying to figure out like, I'm a political science major too. So I'm like, is law school the best place that I want to go to? Or is it taking a break or trying a different career field within like my major? And I know sometimes I'm like, okay, I wish I had the ex more experience for it. Even I do have these like set of skills or is the experience better or, you know. You know, it's, it's, 
I don't I, I, I know why we do it, but I don't think we should decouple skills and experience as if they're two very separate things. In order for you to have a high skill in something, which means you've demonstrated excellence over time, you've had to be in those situations where that experience allowed you to test those skills, right? Skills and experience go hand in hand. If I don't get to flex that skill, how do I know I'm strong in it? If I'm not ever testing that skill, how do I, how do I know that it's actually strong? But I need those experiences, even for me. I need those tough conversations at work to know that my emotional intelligence is as healthy as I need it to be. That means I can receive this critical feedback from my boss, get the lessons out of it without taking offense to it. Now I know my EQ is where it is. But the times where I get offended by something, I now know that my EQ is a little bit off balance. I need to reset my, I need some more experiences to sharpen, right? You need experiences to sharpen your skills. And in order for you to sharpen your skills, you need to be in some experiences that allow you to sharpen your skills, right? And so people act like that they are two separate things when they're literally the one and the same. Because when you say, hey, this person's been in this industry for 30 years, you're saying that the skills that they have have built over 30 years of experience, right? They're connected together. Again, sometimes in this world, in this, in this earth, we like to decouple things that are so intertwined. It's like inhale and exhale. You cannot count your inhales without counting your exhales. Because if you start on your inhales and that exhale ain't coming out, uh, I think you're probably going to flat out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can't say I got this skill and you never flex it. You never get a chance to use it, which means you don't know how sharp that skill is because you haven't used it. And you will hear people of maturity say, you know what? I've done that before, but it's been a while. So let me check myself before I answer the question. Right. That's this. And look, it's been a while since I had to, you know, use the Pythagorean theorem. Let, let, let me go see if I still remember that, that how this flows. Right. But that's you. But that's you being aware of yourself and saying before I say, yeah, I know how to do it. I'm going to check in with myself and say, when's the last time I did it? the last time I did it, what was my performance? Right. What have changed that may have outdated the my skill because the experience is a little bit different. Right. And so you think about people in workplace when technology changed. Why well, not paper based process? I'm, I'm so comfortable with this. Not as comfortable with technology. Doesn't mean you can't do it, but you need to take what you was doing via paper and start practicing it within this system to build that up. Right. They go hand in hand, day in and day out. Just you just can't have one without the other. Right. That was good. Mm hmm. Well, that was it for us. And we really appreciate you coming and taking in like all the advice. I know it definitely was helpful for me. Thank you all for tuning in to today's episode of You're Hired. And big thank you to Nayiri for joining us today and giving back to the Knox community. To hear and see more of what the Knox Career Center is doing, follow us on all of our social media. And once again, thank you for listening and see you next time for our next episode. We here at Your Hired are on a mission to provide concrete and actionable steps that move you closer to your dream job. Our partner and podcast sponsor, Haven, is built to bring you opportunities to develop skills that light you up, gain experiences that move you forward, and build diverse communities to support you. To learn more about paid micro-internships, group discussions, and one-on-one -on -one mentoring, go to www.joinhaven.com, H-A-E-V-N. 
The link is in the description, and we hope you take the next step in building your dream career. Thanks for listening.